I'm standing in the welcome area of where Michael attends church. This is the spot where Michael placed a wooden box, small, open at the top. But for Michael, what looked like a simple wooden box turned out to be a big mystery. Michael is an artist at his church, and when he did a gallery exhibit on homelessness, he wanted to have a way for the folks in his church to participate. And that's what the wooden box was for. We just put a simple sign on the front. The sign said, Socks for Homeless. People could donate new socks by putting them in the box when they came on Sunday. And the idea was, at the end of the month, Michael would take all the socks to the homeless shelter. Except he never got the chance. Something weird kept happening. Like on a Sunday, I'd look in the box and, oh, we've had five bags of socks put in the box. And and then I would look later and there would be zero socks in there. There were socks, and then somehow there weren't. Like, the socks were just disappearing. At first, Michael thought maybe one of the pastors was emptying the box and storing the socks somewhere for Michael, but they all said no, they weren't. Then Michael thought, is someone stealing the socks? Maybe trying to play a practical joke on him? He asked around, and no one knew where the socks were. As he stood staring at the box trying to solve this mystery. It just took, it clicked all of a sudden. Oh, it's socks for the homeless. That sign he had put on the box, the one that said socks for homeless, most of us would take that to mean a place to donate socks for the homeless. But if you're homeless, well, that phrase means something else entirely. Homeless people are taking the socks. (laughs) And in hindsight, it seemed obvious. Michael's church has people who are homeless, who are also attending on a regular basis. But the reason it took Michael so long to realize all of this is because we tend to think of the homeless as removed from us. They're over there, not in close proximity. We had the people that had, and we had the people that had not all in the same space. And it was just a matter of making that connection. You're listening to the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Rachel Zabo. Every episode, we hear stories of social justice and Christian community. Today's episode, where the gospel meets homelessness. I'm sitting here with our producer, Rachel, and this topic's actually really dear to both of us because the first time that Rachel and I ever met, we were actually working together at Louisville Rescue Mission. Yeah, so Louisville Rescue Mission is a homeless shelter in downtown Louisville. Jesse, you and I worked there together for a couple of years. Yeah, and nothing says bonding like doing drug screenings and urine tests. <laughs> and our story today actually comes from Louisville Rescue Mission. It's a story about one young man's attempt to no longer see the homeless as those people over there and how that attempt led him to the most unusual friendship he would ever have. Welcome to our corner of the urban universe. You're driving in your car, maybe on your way to work or school or your kid's soccer practice. You come to a stoplight and all of a sudden you start to feel really uncomfortable. And that's because standing about three feet outside of your window is a man holding a cardboard sign that says, homeless, no money, hungry. And for a lot of us, that's our experience with homelessness. The guy flying the sign on the street corner and asking us for money. And now your peaceful commute has become a moral showdown inside of you. Should you give this man money? 
How do you even know what he'll use it for? Would Jesus give him money? Maybe if you just stare straight ahead, it'll look like you didn't even notice him. Should you offer to buy him some food instead, but you are already on a tight schedule, and besides, shouldn't he be out looking for a job instead of standing at this stoplight? And why has this suddenly become the longest stoplight in the world? On any given night in the United States, more than 560,000 people are homeless. So what do you do? How do you decide the moral showdown going on inside of you and what it means for this guy standing outside of your car? It's the age-old question, what would Jesus do, right? And here's the reality. On the one hand, Jesus didn't perform miracles for everybody. In fact, in his hometown, he didn't do many works because they weren't receptive to him. But on the other hand, sometimes he gives freely to whomever, like in Luke 17. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's met by this group of 10 people, and these 10 people were all lepers, and all 10 of them ask for Jesus' mercy and healing. Now, if we were in this situation, we would probably start running through our imaginary checklist of how we're going to decide who we should heal. Things like, who's been sick the longest? Who's been trying the hardest and been most proactive to get well? Who's been doing all the necessary requirements for leprosy in the Mosaic Law? And typically, those are the people we help, the ones who show some sign that they deserve it. Or at the very least, show some interest. But the reality is that the guy we see holding the cardboard sign on the street corner, we don't know his story. And so that makes it really hard to know exactly what to do when you're on the other side of the glass. And for Caleb Butler, who was a recent high school graduate in Southern Illinois, he wanted to do something about that. We're, you know, like a white middle-class family, so like the expectation was to go to college. Caleb had applied to a few private colleges, but they were too expensive. His parents wanted him to go to junior college, but what Caleb really wanted to do was this program called Love Thy Neighborhood. Now, remember, Love Thy Neighborhood, we offer social justice internships supported by Christian community to young adults. And specifically, Caleb wanted to move into a shelter in downtown Louisville and serve the homeless. Yeah, so I applied and uh, decided to go do it after high school. And I'm guessing that was not in his parents' five-year plan for him. Yeah, I mean, so you got to imagine that conversation. Caleb comes to his parents and he says, I know you guys had a great dream for my life. I was going to go off to college and get a great job. But instead, I think I'll move into a homeless shelter. And so when your your kid comes to you and says, like, I I don't want to go to school right now, that is a little um, strange or disconcerting. And that's not uncommon. Many young people, they choose to do missions without the support of their parents. So the normal reaction would be for Caleb's parents to protest and redirect him. But they were actually kind of okay with it. Yeah, but my parents are super supportive in general. So while all of his friends would be moving into dorm rooms and furthering their education, Caleb would be moving into a homeless shelter. Now, in the city of Louisville, over 6,700 people were homeless last year. And homelessness, it's really hard to count because you never know exactly who's homeless and who's not. How do you count people that are sleeping on friends' sofas or having to camp out in the woods? So this is actually just just an estimate. And while the homeless population here doesn't compare to big cities like Los Angeles or New York, among the homeless community, Louisville is actually known as a sort of mecca. There are just so many services available to people that are homeless here in this city. At least 29 organizations specifically help the homeless with anything from food to clothing to shelter to case management. 
And one of those 29 organizations, the place where actually where Caleb would be spending the next year of his life, is a place called Louisville Rescue Mission. Founded in 1881, Louisville Rescue Mission is actually the fourth oldest gospel rescue mission in the country. It's childhood friends with the Statue of Liberty and the Washington Monument. When Caleb arrived at the mission, he wasn't sure whether he was going to come across men who were drunk or whether he was going to find a bunch of hardened faces. But instead, he found this woman. That one doesn't check mail, hon. No, I'll check you in, babe. This is Miss Joni. And a few years before I started working at the shelter, uh, Miss Joni had actually started to work there. She's a lady in her 60s who's in charge of Louisville Rescue Mission's day shelter. How are you today? Uh, Where you been? I've been living in a tent. Now, for someone experiencing their very first time going to a homeless shelter, it can feel very scary. It conjures up ideas like maximum security prisons or men that have knife fights on a regular basis. But when you come into Louisville Rescue Mission and you see Miss Joni, she kind of makes you feel a bit more at home. Now, I haven't done this before. I okay. can just go take a shower? Yeah, go over here and get you a towel and soap and whatever you need, okay? Thank you. Okay, thank you, hon. And one of the remarkable things that I always noticed when I worked at the shelter was that Miss Joni knows just about every single person by name who comes in the door. Oh, Mr. Billy, he has really been sick. In fact, for some of the homeless guests coming in, Miss Joni's kind of like family to them. I have guys that actually that's moved away from here, and it's not anything for them to call me around Mother's Day to wish me happy Mother's Day. This is a woman that knows hundreds of people who are homeless. And this is exactly what Caleb wanted. He wanted to actually know people who are homeless and be a part of their lives. Most of my life, most people have liked to getting to know me and talking to me, and I don't I don't know why these grown men wouldn't want to sit down and talk to me about their life. So in addition to the day shelter, the rescue mission also runs a residential recovery program for men. And since Caleb was also living at the mission, he would have a lot of opportunities to spend time with the men living in the recovery program. It was Caleb's dream, spending a year living with and loving the homeless. But what Caleb wasn't counting on was a man named Joey Wilson. So Joey comes in, and honestly, I thought, there is no way. Joey does not have time for this kid. That man is going to tear this little kid up. Tensions rise, a fight breaks out, and football season. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Daryl from New Albany, Indiana. I made an impact on people who are homeless by serving for a year with Love Thy Neighborhood. To experience your social justice internship and Christian community, visit lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. You're listening to the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. I'm Rachel Zabo. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Today's episode is where the gospel meets homelessness. We're telling a story from when Rachel and I worked at Louisville Rescue Mission. It's a story about a guy named Caleb. He's spending a year serving at Louisville Rescue Mission, and one of the homeless men living at the mission is a man named Joey Wilson. Now, we weren't able to speak with Joey personally for reasons that will become clear later in the story, but we were able to speak with a man named Ben Burkholz. Ben is a pastor. He is a board member for Love That Neighborhood. And Ben and I actually worked together at Louisville Rescue Mission during the time that Joey lived there. So I asked Ben to share what he remembered about Joey. 
Joey had come from a very, very difficult family life and lived in most of his life fending for himself. Um, hard drugs, petty crime, and then culminated in armed robbery that had him uh, in the penitentiary for a number of years. After serving his time, Joey is given two options, get into a rehab program or go back to prison. So Joey has his parole officer contact all of the rehab programs in the area, and they are all full, except for one, Louisville Rescue Mission. And while Joey wasn't thrilled about the fact that everyone was very religious, in his words, he was even less thrilled about going back to prison. And so he moves into the mission, but he makes it very clear he does not want to be there. He wasn't, he wasn't going to play our games. So he wasn't going to take any, any flack from anybody. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. And he made it very clear that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Joey was truly difficult. You knew that if you were going to have a conversation with him, he was going to argue with you. You knew that if you looked at him the wrong way and he was in the wrong mood at the time, that you were going to catch lip from him. He was just a difficult, difficult man to get along with. And really wasn't even sure what he thought about this program and if it could help him. You know, one of the things that we do at LTN is that we challenge folks to come to grips with their relational capacity you cannot be best friends with 50 people. Choose a handful of folks and go deep with them. And so Caleb came to me and he said, I've chosen Joey. I want to go deep with Joey. And I just thought to myself, you have the worst decision-making skills. Just a kid, innocent, unassuming looking. And Caleb says, all right, I'm going to lean into this friendship. And it was fun as staff to be able to just kind of step back and watch this. It was almost comical to watch Caleb trying to connect with Joey, this hardened criminal. So he would go and he would sit down next to Joey at dinner and suddenly Joey would just get up and leave or Joey would be outside smoking a cigarette and Caleb would go sit next to him and Joey would suddenly put the cigarette out and say, oh, I've been meaning to quit smoking. It was just very, very obvious. Joey did not want this young kid coming around. You realize that there are just layers and layers of difficulty and need and these are folks that have lived most of their life under judgment of others and broken relationships and yeah loving on people a little bit isn't isn't gonna change their lives tomorrow which is why louisville rescue mission puts so much emphasis on their recovery program they want these men to have a stable living environment yes but wellness isn't just about having a place to live it's about spiritual, mental, and emotional stability as well. It's all a package deal. And not only was Joey difficult relationally, I mean, he was also starting to have some serious medical issues as a result of his years of drug and alcohol abuse. He had um, some significant diseases from the uh, drug abuse. And the staff were concerned for Joey's spiritual state as well. Caleb would try to talk to him about God or Jesus, and Joey just wasn't interested. In fact, he wasn't really interested in talking about anything. Gosh, Joey's got to have had enough. Caleb is not very bright. Well, he's just this young, naive kid. Like, he means well, but he he's just not getting it. Right, but here's the thing. I mean, Joey is a convicted felon charged with armed robbery. I mean, at some point, Joey's got to get fed up with this little kid. Yeah, I mean, you could totally feel the tensions rising on a daily basis until finally one day it all just exploded. So 
So one day there's an emergency call over the staff radio, and the person making the call says that there's a heated argument in the day shelter downstairs, and it sounds like it might turn into a fight at any moment. So the entire staff rush downstairs. We walk into the room. We see two guys, and who is it? It is Joey and Caleb. And they're in each other's faces, loud and aggressive. But then we notice there's a slight grin on each of their mouths. And what are they arguing about? Miami Dolphins. He was a Miami Dolphins football fan. And I grew up watching sports all the time, playing sports all the time. So if somebody wants to talk sports, I can do that really easily. But they weren't just talking about sports. They were trash talking each other about sports. Which team was better? Who should have won that game last night? At the time, that was kind of Joey's love language. You know, if you could trash talk with Joey and hold your own, he had some respect for you. That trash talking argument became a turning point for Caleb and Joey. We started to see Joey sit next to Caleb more often at dinner. We started to see the two of them sit outside and talk football. Talk about the Dolphins and how they're doing and what he's seeing on TV. And maybe we talk about Dolphins from previous years. And slowly... Their conversations became about more than just football. He opened up and started telling me more about his personal life, about his relationship with his brother growing up and with his parents and what that was like. No one in his family would talk to him anymore. The only person that would even speak to him was his brother, and his brother was in prison, but no one else was willing to speak with him. So when he started talking about that, I knew that there was more than just some sort of surface relationship about sports, that he was actually willing to trust that I'm somebody who's going to listen to him. And now they seem to spend all their time together. In fact, it was rare to see one without the other. The homeless convict and the high school grad. What an awkward couple. Joey was talking about how good of a guy that Caleb was and how others-oriented he was and how kind he was and committed to Joey that he was. They would eat meals together. They would spend the afternoon at the park together. Once, Joey wanted to visit his younger brother in prison, and Caleb offered to drive him there. And while their friendship was growing, there was this one thing Joey just couldn't figure out. So Caleb is loving Joey. Joey is trying to figure out why. Why was Caleb at this homeless shelter spending a year of his life around guys like Joey instead of getting a college degree or chasing girls or going to parties or seeing the world? Yes, I know he loves Jesus. And that's great. Why in the world would this young kid love a guy like me? So one day I'm in my office and Joey comes in and he plops down in the chair and he says, I just don't understand why this kid is spending his life here with guys like me. It doesn't make any sense. The only way this could ever make sense is if this Jesus that Caleb keeps talking about is real. And if this Jesus is real, then I want this Jesus too. And you know, most of the time when someone believes in Christ, the change in their life, it isn't immediately noticeable. It takes time for that fruit to grow. It's why the scriptures call it the fruit of the Spirit and not the chia pet of the Spirit. But every now and then you find someone who meets Christ and the change, it's immediately like night and day. And Joey, well, he was one of those people this guy who's lived his life getting what he can you know admittedly conning people manipulating people um a getter uh that now has transitioned into pursuing the lord and then now wanted to be a giver 
but not giving in the material sense. Joey didn't have anything. He was a homeless guy living in a shelter, but he learned he could give of himself. There was one morning when some of the ladies from Love That Neighborhood were serving breakfast in the day shelter downstairs, and one of the homeless guests got really mad, started yelling and cussing at these ladies. They went upstairs, they were upset, and they were crying. And the old Joey, first of all, probably wouldn't even have been there because he would have been isolated in his room. And if he had been there, he probably just would have beat the snot out of the guy because he was annoyed. But that wasn't who Joey was anymore. He came in quietly and gave the Love That Neighborhood ladies a hug, told them it was going to be all right. And when I saw this, I wasn't looking at a homeless convict and a 20-something middle-class girl. I was looking at how a grandfather would love and care for a granddaughter. He was always talking about the fact that he couldn't believe, of all people out there, that the Lord had intervened in his life at this stage. Even some of the other residents who used to avoid Joey at all costs were now seeking him out for advice. He had almost become this sort of respected elder in the community of people, which for Joey was huge because he still didn't talk to anyone in his family other than his brother. They refused because they knew the old Joey. But like the book of Psalms says, the Lord places the lonely in families. Joey's family had become the people at Louisville Rescue Mission. He, he underestimated what, yeah, what he meant to others. And Joey ended up impacting more people than just those at the mission. So Caleb's year serving at the mission comes to a close and he decides to go to college. He still keeps in touch with Joey, writing him letters every week, talking with him on the phone. And one day Caleb calls Joey to tell him about a leadership opportunity he's been offered. I had just been asked to join on as a student leader for campus ministry at the school I was attending. And so I I let Joey know, hey, they asked me to become a student leader. And uh, before I could even like tell him the details of what it was about, he was like, oh, and so happy. And like, he's like, oh, they got the right one. And so he was like super proud and all that. Caleb didn't know it at the time, but this proud moment was actually going to be the last conversation he would ever have with Joey. Stay with us. Hi, this is Erica from Inez, Kentucky. I made an impact on people who are homeless by serving for a summer with Love Thy Neighborhood. To experience your social justice internship in Christian community, visit lovethyneighborhood.org and apply today. Welcome back to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Rachel Zabo. Today's story is where the gospel meets homelessness. We're telling a story from when Jesse and I worked together at Louisville Rescue Mission. It's the story about Joey and Caleb. And without knowing it, Caleb has just had his last conversation with his friend Joey. So all throughout Caleb's years serving at Louisville Rescue Mission, Joey's health was not in great shape. All the years he had spent doing drugs and alcohol were taking their toll on his body. He was in and out of the hospital a lot, a lot. So, and it was kidneys that were shutting down, liver uh, was tore up, and then the doctors are giving him medication. He began having complications with the medication, wandering around the mission aimlessly and losing track of where he was and what he was doing. After Caleb went to college, Joey continued to be in and out of the hospital regularly. It was sort of normal for him, and Ben and the other staff at the mission would go visit him. 
I would pop in once a day just to check in on him, see how he's doing. But as I continued to pop in once a day, it did. It became very clear that um, he, he wasn't coming out. He's fighting for every breath. He was he was weary. He was worn. I mean, he he really did. He he looked like he was at death's door. And in talking with the nurses, then at that point, they were saying things don't look good, and we're just trying to keep him comfortable. As Joey was digressing in the hospital, um, struggling with the fact that he had kind of wasted his life. And he had wished and hoped that the Lord would have given him more time to be able to yeah, live a life for the glory of God, essentially. So there was that discouragement and that regret, but then on the heels of that, always saying, I can't believe that the Lord has done this in my life. I can't believe that he's changed my life. Ben continued to go to the hospital and visit Joey on a daily basis. And on one of these occasions, I actually went with Ben and I remember going to see Joey, and by this time, he was so frail. It took a lot of energy for him to even raise his arm or to speak. And even with his weakness and his lack of breath, he took the time to tell us, the Lord has been so good to me. And do you know the other thing that he shared with us? How great this 18-year-old kid Caleb was. Caleb's such a good friend. I'm so thankful for him. And then he slipped into a state where he was semi-conscious. So we didn't know if he was processing what we were saying. Um, It was maybe a week or so where it was kind of semi-conscious into unconsciousness. It was the next morning that I checked on him and the nurses were saying, we're not sure that he's going to make it through the day. So at that point, I said, there's something going on at the office. I got to get back to the office. I'll be back here in an hour or two. Um, If anything happens, let me know. So I go back to the office and it was within, within an hour or two that the nurse did call and said he had passed. Ben and myself and the other staff had been keeping in contact with Caleb during these last days of Joey's life. And it was the same morning that Caleb had packed up his car and started the four-hour drive back to Louisville to see his friend one more time. But after only an hour on the road, he received the phone call, letting him know Joey was gone. After Ben hung up the phone, he went back to the hospital. And the door was shut. A couple nurses were standing around. And I remember looking at one of the nurses, and she was just crying. She was one of the nurses that had been in and out over the weeks with Joey. And Joey was just kind to the nurses and giving to the nurses. So this nurse had developed this little relationship with with Joey in that short time. And I said, are you all right? And she said, yeah, it's just, it can be hard. Uh, the, kind of the theme of his life toward the end was was to give and kind-hearted and looking out for the for the nurses and they appreciated him yeah you you could see that it was it was difficult to see for them to see him go 
So in Louisville, the way that it works when someone that has no money and no family dies is that the city of Louisville takes their body out to a plot of land right at the edge of the city limits. It's a field. There's nothing particularly special about this field, but it's a graveyard. And in this graveyard, there'll be a man waiting there who's the coroner. And most of the time, it's just him and the body. And the coroner puts the body in the ground. And that's it. There's no family. There's no friends. There's no loved ones. But on this occasion, there was this scene unfolding that the coroner found baffling. I remember pulling up kind of a dirt sort of area. It was raining and muddy. And out in this little plot of land, this field, yeah, you have a white tent that's covering the casket there. All the people from Louisville Rescue Mission who had known Joey, we huddled together under this white tent and held a funeral service for him. We sang songs, we talked about Joey's life, we talked trash about the Miami Dolphins, and we reminded each other how thankful we were to have witnessed God's saving power in the life of this homeless convict. And this whole time, the coroner's also standing there under the white tent. So he's watching this whole thing, and you know, as I'm talking, I have my eye on him just thinking, I wonder how this guy's responding to this, this sort of thing. Once the funeral service was finished and everyone was piling back in the cars, the coroner pulls Ben aside. And he said something to the effect that I've never seen anything like this. So here's a guy who, yeah, caskets show up and bodies show up and you put them in the ground and nobody, nobody shows up. And yet this guy is observing us love and care for somebody who was a convict and in and out of homelessness and a broken life. And he's puzzled at how did all of this happen? And Ben tells him, in the kingdom of God, unusual relationships are normal. Relationships like Caleb, the naive 18-year-old, and Joey, the homeless convict, they happen all the time. And while we all need professionals, and we need experts, and we need theologians, and those are all good things, in the end, those weren't the things that made the biggest difference in Joey's life. What made the biggest difference was an 18-year-old kid who just decided to care about him, and show up, and then keep showing up. No questions asked. Today, Caleb is a PhD student. He's moved several times and had many experiences since being at the rescue mission, but one thing he always keeps with him is a reminder of Joey. I have this cork board in my room that I typically just post receipts from movies I've seen or events I've attended just to remind me of things I've done in the last few years. But uh, one corner of the cork board, I have this card that he wrote to me um, a few months before he passed away. I think it was a Christmas card. And... It literally just says, um, Dear Caleb, thank you for allowing God to use you in changing my life to the best it's ever been. And so I keep that in my room on my wall. I look at that pretty often and think about him. So I'm thinking back to that story from Luke's gospel where the 10 lepers asked Jesus to heal them. Jesus didn't go through some criteria checklist. He went ahead and he healed all of them. He gave freely to all 10. Yeah, and only one. One received Jesus with a changed heart where he wanted an ongoing relationship with Jesus. 
That's one in 10. The Louisville Rescue Mission, people come in, they come out. A lot of folks, they get better only to relapse later. But the work the mission does, they do it for the Joeys of the world. That 10% who are going to respond to Jesus' gift. We do. We underestimate the gospel and, and the Lord's work. And I think Joey's a reminder that we, we ought to keep at it. We ought to keep moving forward in these things. You know, there's a lot of different ideas out there about how we should respond when homeless people ask us for money. The way that God answered that question for Caleb, it was radical. And what we can expect is this. God's answer to that question for us, it's probably going to be radical too. If you would like to learn more about Louisville Rescue Mission, you can visit their website at louisvillerescuemission.org. If you would like to gain more resources on homelessness or listen to past episodes of this podcast, you can visit our website at lovethatneighborhood.org slash podcast. Special thank you to our interviewees for this episode, Caleb Butler, Ben Burkholtz, Joni Williams, and Michael Winners. Our senior producer and host is Jesse Eubanks. Our co-host today is Rachel Zabo, who's also our producer, technical director, and editor. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere, Poddington Bear, Blue Dot Sessions, and Wooden Axle. Apply for your social justice internship, supported by Christian Community, by visiting lovethyneighborhood.org. Serve for a summer or a year, grow in your faith and life skills. Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise. <laughs>